On this episode of Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered, we talk about the verdict. Yes, folks, it's in. Uh, the verdict came in today on the Burnett case. Keith and I sit down and dissect all of that, not only what it means, potentially what's going to happen next, and more importantly, your go-forward strategy. going to be an incredible show. Tune in. You talk about it privately. We talk about it publicly. This is the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. Welcome again to Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, James Twiggins, along with my co-host, Keith Robinson, aka Crazy Uncle Keith. Yes, sir. Hey, my friend, what are we talking about today? I think it's going to be oh, something non-controversial. Slow news day in real estate. Just uh, <laughs> losing a lawsuit. And what? Get, we lost yeah. the lawsuit? Where? Did. I didn't well, see the headlines. Did. We did not. Let's be very clear. <sighs> Keith and James did not lose anything, but... NAR and others lost a lawsuit and got smashed with a $1.7 billion. Actually, I'm going to correct you because it's treble damages. So it's $5.3 billion because it's an antitrust claim. I just wanted to make sure you were drinking whiskey. So let's get started. So I am not yet, but right after this, heavily. We should change treble? our logo. What's from treble the, damages? Treble What's three. Treble oh, like three. Triple? Triple. Not yeah. That's like a legal way to say triple. Basically, they like to change words so that you pay more money and they sound sophisticated. So Attorneys, man. I uh, attorneys. I All right, cool. So five point something billion? Yeah, it, uh, whatever. It doesn't really matter what the damages are. Yeah, let's are. start with this. Okay. Why doesn't it matter what the damages are, James? Because they're lawyers. They want to settle <laughs> and actually get answer. paid. Right. This is a great answer. They want to get yeah. paid. So yes. there's no way that the defendants can afford $5.3 billion in damages. Because if everyone goes bankrupt, they can't what? They can't win. They get they nothing. They pay. get paid. They can't yeah. pay. So it could be $9 billion and it wouldn't matter because, well, let's start with. Let's just jump in. Let's this. just start with what happened. Let's start with what yeah. happened and then we'll tell everybody what we believe. Give them right. the news today. Big announcement comes out. Uh, go. Yeah. So uh, plaintiffs won. Deliberation was not even three hours. That's usually a bad sign. An hour and a half in, they asked for the exhibit classifying what the total damages are. By the way, that's usually that's a bad a, sign. That's a really bad sign. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, $1.78 billion was the damages awarded. Plaintiffs were asking for uh, uh, $1.8 No, $1.8 billion. So just shy of $1.8 billion. They basically got what they were looking for. Uh, that then is tripled because it's an antitrust claim. So basically, home sellers in the state of Missouri uh, won. Uh, defendants were Keller Williams, Berkshire Hathaway, and NAR. Remember, Remax and Anywhere have already settled. They look like very Geniuses. smart people because yeah. they settled for a very small amount of money. We'll cover this, but Remax is fifty-five million in settlement, and Anywhere was eighty-three and a half. That is not a million. small amount of money, it's but it not is a comparatively comparatively to the bigger number. It's very small. So yes. Um, so yeah, this is, um, I think the starting point we'll, we'll go with, um, everyone's going to see headlines for the damages amount. You're going to see big numbers. Everyone's going to be freaking out and everyone just needs to big calm time. the hell down. Yeah. Hey, let's all do, listen, if you can hear my voice right now, Usa. take a breath, relax, relax. <sighs> uh, crazy uncle Keith and his buddy James are going to tell you why it will be different it will be not great but it's not this is yeah, not, not the, end the, world. the end of the world just slow 
your little panicky selves down. And by the way, real quick, before we dove into this, all this crazy stuff, I just want to mm-hmm. know, send us an email if you want to see crazy Uncle Keith t-shirts, because I just, <laughs> I want to add some humor in our day today. What would be on the crazy Uncle I Keith I don't know, t-shirt? but something weird. Like we got to come up with some slogans that say crazy Uncle Keith said whatever. And if you guys are seriously interested, we're thinking about getting some fun t-shirts, maybe okay. quotes from guests. So, yes. all right. Maybe back we'll to donate. The- hey, actually, let's do that. If you want it, we'll do it. And we'll donate it to NAR. <laughs> not funny it's kind of funny all right uh so here's the deal um the the case unfortunately went as we predicted uh keith and i have been saying this for a while it ended up going the route that we thought it would we're not proud of that we don't want that but we also want to have been wrong would would have loved to have been been wrong but here's where we are so this pod is going to be solely about um where we go from Mm -hmm. here and what we think will happen next so Here's what's going to occur. And again, we're not your lawyers. We're not your CPAs. We're not your broker. If you have any questions, talk to all of them. Uh, we're simply two, <laughs> two guys on a podcast pontificating about things um, and doing some research at the same time. So uh, first off, as I just mentioned, the damages amount is very much irrelevant. Remax and Anywhere settled, and this is extremely important what I'm going to explain. All three cases, Burnett, Morrell, and Noselec, all of those lawyers got into a room and settled with Remax and settled with Anywhere for a much smaller number than anyone thought it was going to be. What that shows you is that they're looking to settle these cases because, Keith, what do lawyers want to do? They want to get paid. They like money. Also, they want their plaintiffs to receive some cash. Okay, so... What you have to remember is we've been talking about and you've been hearing about all these billions of dollars worth of numbers for the past year. And we've said they're irrelevant and you've seen that already become irrelevant with the two settlements. So right now what's happening is NER has already put out a statement. They're going to appeal it. This is what you do. You say you're going to appeal it. You got a posture. Um, but simultaneous to this, this is big news. 30 minutes after the verdict, <clears throat> the same lawyer filed another claim, same court class action status, going for class action status, filed the same exact suit. We call a copycat suit. We've been talking about this as well. Yep. And now the named defendants are Compass, EXP, Redfin, Weikert Realtors, United Real Estate, Howard Hanna, and Douglas Element, as yes. well as the National Association of Realtors. So this is important. We're going to connect some dots here. Um, you are seeing other brokerages get named. And to be clear, this was just in Missouri. So you have all of these other brokerages across America that could be named into these copycat suits. And because this particular law firm just won, they laid out the entire way to sue everybody else. They gave them the roadmap. They have the roadmap. And as I mentioned in previous podcasts, your E&O coverage will not cover defense of your attorneys or the damages, neither does your D&O policy or your, uh, your general liability policy. So you're on your own for these, for these claims. This is really, correct me if I'm wrong, James, but this is really a way they could say, uh, we just won and we're coming back for more. Settle with me, stupid. Right? Get in the room with me and let's do a global settlement and get all of this behind us. To remind, and this is a great comment you made, Keith, they've already done that. They did it with Remax and Anywhere. They agreed in Burnett and Noselec and Morrell, which is in basically 23 markets across the U.S., they already got into a room together with all the other lawyers and said, here's what these companies have financially. We can mm-hmm. see their cash, their publicly traded companies. You can see what their actual cash on hand was. It was about 50% of their cash is what they did in the settlement. So they've said, okay, 
We'll take that. We know that's all you can do because we don't want you to file bankruptcy. So what this is happening here in Keith's comment is so dead on. They're posturing to get everyone to the table to settle. And again, remember one last comment, Remax and Anywhere Settlement was not just in 23 markets. It was nationwide. It was everywhere. They opened the class, the plaintiffs agreed to it, and they said everybody who bought, or I'm sorry, sold a house during that five-year statute of limitations is now part of the class. The way this works, everybody understands this. When you are, when a class is filed and you, for instance, sold a house in that time frame, you're automatically entered into the class. You can choose to remove yourself from the class if you don't want to be part of the settlement, and then you can hire your own lawyers and go try to sue the defendants. It won't work. You won't get a lawyer to do it because the, the lawyers know that you already just settled out for everything that you have. So it's your best option to get any money. So they, they already agreed to a nationwide settlement. They have signaled they are willing to do this. Yes. So NAR's and, number. Go ahead. Yeah. So NAR, of course, is going to come out. I know they sent an email to everyone sure. as they should. And they're going to say, we're going to fight this. Don't yep. worry. We're going to appeal. We're going to fight this. And we don't know for sure. No one in NARS called us to ask us our opinion. But what also then makes sense is why you are putting on a brave face and saying that you're willing to go all the way to the mattresses as far as you need to go. You then also say, how about we get in a room? See yep. if we can work this out. Yep. And the plaintiff's attorney has said, "By we're going to keep coming and we're going to keep coming and we're going to keep coming. And NAR, we're going to name you every time. So... We think we've said all along we thought this would settle. Uh, we thought and kind of hoped, I think, secretly that it would settle before it went all the way through trial. It it didn't. We were wrong on that point. They kind of uh, had to show face, like they had sure. the posture, like you you know, it's you can't just bow down to it. Sure, so kind of makes sense strategically that they did it. But our belief is now they will get they within will. a they will get in a room and try to work this through. One of the number one questions you and I have been asked is, okay, well, with this appeal, like how we don't know for sure, but how long do you and I think until some this is a settlement happens or till there's some change? How long days. do you think it will? Thirty, 30 days. days. I'm a little longer, just because I think everything takes longer than you think. But I think it's measured in weeks, not months. Meaning, it's is it four to eight weeks? Yeah, probably. Is it six to eight months? No, I don't think it's that far either. So it's it, soon. It's sooner than everybody thinks. It's soon partially because to do the appeals process, they have to post a bond yep. to cover the damages that have been assessed. If you which can't just, get, which is massive. It, yeah, which to put it bluntly means you got to put up the money anyway. Correct. Right? A, a lot of it. Maybe not you, all of it, but as much as they can, they're going to take correct. and put up in a bond. So if you're putting up the money anyway, get out of the way of the train. Exactly. Just, so yeah. they have to post this bond and I think they'll have a hard time potentially getting it. And so if you, you, you have to post the bond in order and have the assets in order to go through the appeals process. So it's going to be very hard to do that. And I think that this is the final point I'll make on this and we don't need to, I think this all makes sense now. You just, they just named seven other companies. You don't think the CEOs of those companies are calling NER right now saying settle this shit. Like, <laughs> they're they're going uh i mean i can tell you what's going to happen when i get named and my microphone's getting bigger by the week and it's going to be really loud like if we get named and be like guys gals settle this like we we know we need to put some money in the pot but like paying lawyers fees to defend this stuff for years is not going to be conducive to winning this so the fact that these companies all got named, which is a strategy on the plaintiff's lawyer to name everybody sure. else no is they, look, put they obviously said who are the who are the deepest pockets? Let's go after them first. Who's the next tranche? Uh, we'll go after them next. 
They, they've had this shot lined up for a long time. Yeah, they had it ready to file as soon as they won. They filed it within yeah. 30 minutes. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so, right. look. So, timeline, our opinion, what, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks? Yeah, but it's, I, I'm, it's I'm sooner within than month. everybody thinks. Correct. Yeah. I think it's yeah. they will not go to appeal. I think they will settle out. I think they'll have pressure to do it. They have no choice because as soon as everybody else gets named, they're all going to call NAR, and NAR is the only one that can do it. Why? Because NAR has the ability to do a dues assessment. Right. So the, no, other question we get all the time is, is, is our NAR dues going to increase because of this? Yes. Short answer. Yes. <laughs> yes. How much? We don't know. Uh, how structured? Also don't know. But we believe very strongly that the, they're going to have to pass this along to their membership. Yeah. Now, the knee jerk reaction to that is screw NAR. I'm out. F those guys. I never liked them anyway. Bad James, idea. You've been jumping up and down about this one. We both have. Explain why that is a bad idea. Well, look, I think it's very fair that NAR is going to come back to try and make sure that they save membership and to be able to give plaintiffs the money that they're looking for to settle the cases that they can say, look, we have one point, whatever, four million realtors, five, five, 1.5 million realtors, whatever the number is today. We do a dues assessment and it's going to be, I'm making up this number, $500 over four years. We pay $500 a year over four years. And everyone's like, oh my God, I'm not paying two grand. Well, you damn well better because yeah. I can guarantee you that the cost of defending yourself in court is going to be two hours worth of a lawyer. Look, so, if someone like, came up to you and said for 500 <laughs> bucks a year for four or five years, this could all be behind you. Like sign uh, me up quick before they change their mind. So I think that's the reality. And they'll say, you know, I think NAR will position itself. By the way, all speculation here. We just, yes. we just, this is just logical in many, in many ways. And we've talked to some other lawyers about this. And we've, it's, we've got three, look, if this is the first one you're hearing, we got three or four other pods where you can go back and listen to us taking our yeah. best guess. A lot we got right. Some we got wrong. We're mm. just continuing our best guesses. Yeah. I think NAR goes, our membership is covered in the settlement and that's a way for them to keep membership where it is. I also, you know, and, and then, and then plaintiffs need to negotiate that. Let, they may let's say, dig into that. I know we've done it before, but this one's really important. So if you're a member of NAR and they settle and you can get a settlement like the other settlements that were previously happened with anywhere in Remax, you're done. If you're a member of NAR and we, and the similar settlements come down, then you're good. It's, it's all over. behind you. It's right. all behind you, except for the changes that we're about to talk about that we think will be coming yeah. to how you do the business. But as far as your exposure, it's over. Y'all, if you can hear my voice, that is a getting this behind us as an industry is so important. <laughs> it's so important. Yes, there'll be changes to how we do it. We'll talk about that in two seconds. But the importance <laughs> of putting this behind us as an industry so that we can move forward and continue to do what we do best in the world which is service and take care of the human beings in the transaction. Mm -hmm. All right. So how we've talked about NAR, we've talked about who well, we I, I got one more. Thing. I go, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. One yeah, more thing sure. on NAR. So yeah. um, NAR gets a lot of things wrong. They get a lot of things right. Yeah. And you're going to hear us talk about this, that we know that there's a lot of emotions around NAR right now and there's, a, and they're justified. We're not, to be clear, I'm not saying that they aren't. Yeah. There's a lot of things they do well, and this is actually where you want to back them. This is where you want to get behind them for two reasons. Number one is not only the settlement, but what we'll talk about in a minute is their ability to influence policymaking decisions so that our industry continues to be at the center of the real estate transaction and protects private property rights in the US. This is what they do actually quite well. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, a lot of, I've seen a lot of things like, oh, we're going to remove, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to be part of NARP. No, like that's actually wrong. And as we talk about this, you should be thinking about how you can support them. I'm saying separate the emotions of some of these issues and look at some of the positive too. Do we need things to be fixed in NARP? Yes. Yes. Does there need to be leadership changes? Yes. Yes. Does there need to be structural changes? Yes. Yes. Does there also need to be support for what they do well, like working with Fannie and Freddie to be able to get your compensation financed in a loan? Yes. Do they also get stupid bills thrown out by politicians <laughs> that would destroy your job as well as private property rights in the US? Yes. Yes. They do all the time. And if you've never Nar- educated yourself on it, go yeah. read and learn about what they do. So it's so easy to dunk on NAR, right? It's so easy. And a lot of their headlines recently make it even easier than normal. But one thing they've gotten right, which you are alluding to, is their political action committee and the power that they have in Washington, D.C. is immense, partially because they're well-funded, partially because we pay. So, But losing that will be bad for our industry. And if you want a comparison, go look at the Mortgage Bankers Association. Yeah, The Mortgage Bankers Association is mm, kind of toothless. They don't have the funding. They don't have the support from their membership. It doesn't go well. It might feel good to tell NAR to F off. It might feel good to say that you're going to leave NAR. But if we lose that power as an industry, the net effect 5, 10, 15 years down the road will be bad for us. I remember, Keith, and you and I were in the same market when there was a bill that was trying to be passed in San Francisco, go figure, where it was designed (laughs) to keep investors out. But this is actually important. And it was a 50% tax on the proceeds of the property if you bought it and sold it within two years. And we lobbied and lobbied and lobbied with the politicians and we worked really hard as an industry. And the, the San Francisco Association of Realtors got like boycotted and all of these things. And we only got the bill defeated by two points. Mm-hmm. Now imagine what that would have done from an investment into the city and people owning property there. If you, had, if you bought your house your family, somebody passed away, you had to sell it, and then you had a 50% tax on the proceeds. Yeah. Right. This is where associations and lobbying comes into play. Another so, one. Quick example. I'll do this one fast. We Most of us remember 2008, the great financial crisis. Trust me, the government was running around trying to figure out who to blame. They were looking for someone to drop the hammer on. Guess who they chose? They could have picked anybody. They could have picked real estate, could have picked mortgage, could have picked a, a lot of different people. Mortgage was the one that took the brunt of it. Now, should they have? Maybe, but we were all complicit. But mortgage didn't have the juice in Washington, D.C. to protect itself because they don't have a strong political action committee. That's a big byproduct and a big part of the reason that you had Dodd-Frank come out and all the changes that were on the other side of that. So I get it feels good. James and I are saying, find some other way to feel good, right? Pour yourself a glass of wine or a bourbon or do whatever you need to do. But bailing on NAR probably not the right long-term strategic decision. Yep. All right. Let's talk about go forward. Where do we go okay. from here? So we we believe settlement occurs within weeks and there's some number and the industry is going to scream and whatever. But the reality yes. is this is what gets us behind these lawsuits. And it's a nationwide settlement. So there's no more litigation. It's all over with. Then we talk about what rules are going to be in place. So I'm going to read a few things to you that I think are extremely important so you understand what we think this will look like. Just before you read it, reminder, everyone, you're going to hear some things and you're going to have these this, this yeah, but. Yeah, but James, what about blank? Yeah, but James, what about A and B and C? Relax. 
this is going to get worked through. Okay. It's going to take time. We don't have all the clarity yet, but here, go ahead, James, hit them with the, with the stuff. So in the proposed settlement of, uh, Remax and anywhere in the no select case, um, this was part of the stipulations that happened. And this is, these are really detailed, but it's important you hear some of this stuff. So part of the, the, the settlement agreements were in, in anywhere in Remaxes. They are, they have to do these things. Number one is there's no requirement to join NER or follow the code of ethics. I personally think that last part is absolutely stupid. Uh, <laughs> why would you not follow a code of ethics? Like that's the benchmark we use as an industry, but that just proves the lawyers don't know what they're talking about sometimes. Um, no requirement to make or accept offers. Uh, a disclosure to home sellers that offers are not set, that they're negotiable. Uh, no advertising services as free. This is on the buy side. So you have to explain how you're compensated to a buyer. I actually agree with that one. Um, no filtering of compensation in the MLS. I also agree with that one. Uh, so that essentially you can't sort listings by essentially comp that's being offered. Um, and you have to advise companies and agents to show properties regardless of whether there's an offer of compensation or not. There's no minimum commission requirements uh, in the MLS and your training materials have to explicitly describe all of this. In addition, you'll sign a disclosure. You'll have a disclosure that your seller will sign explaining to them that all compensation is negotiable and that they are not required to offer compensation to the buy side agent. Now, these are the proposed things that were in the settlement and the department of justice intervened and said this doesn't go far enough which is kind of scary if you think about it they're basically coming from and they use the northwest mls and mls pen as an example of having already in the mls the ability to put zero in as an offer of compensation and they use the actual MLS statistics to show that when we changed it from a penny or a dollar to zero, it had basically no effect on uh, the, the change in compensation. It didn't affect anything that was being done in the MLS. We believe, this isn't 100%, this is a belief, but it's fairly mm -hmm. clear if you read it, in my opinion, that the DOJ wants to go to the extent of banning compensation being offered in the MLS. So we believe, again, speculation, that all of these things we just told you, <clears throat> in addition to compensation being outright banned in the MLS, is the end result of how this new structure will operate. Keith, I'll stop there and let everybody take a deep breath or grab some yes. whiskey. Yes. Pause. Okay. Pause. Yep. So, calm down. Yeah, relax. This is okay. not... We'll, we'll work through this a little bit, kind of one by one. Yep. You're not required to join NER, Okay. NAR needs yeah, to do we, a better job of articulating its value and you need to make the choice on whether you want to be part of them or not. I personally would based upon everything we just talked about, but that's a choice you get to make. Yep. Um, By the way, not either way, whatever you decide, and we, we've stated our opinion, but either way, that's not the end of the world for you, right? So don't freak out. Next. Uh, no requirement to make or accept offers or disclose to home sellers. Uh, offers are not set. These are disclosures that are going to be in place, explaining yeah, to them how things operate. You're going to get two new, three new pages in your purchase agreement. Congratulations. Two, two or three more things you've got to explain. Or the listing agreement. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Next. So uh, no advertising services is free. It's fine. You shouldn't. You should sit you down. You shouldn't have been doing it anyway. Tell right? a buyer yeah. what you do and why. Yeah. Like It is we're so strange that in this industry, we have not clearly articulated as a fiduciary who, how we get paid and by whom. That's nuts. So 
congratulations, you're going to get to learn that skill. And then finally, there's no minimum uh, commission requirement. So that'll piggyback where Keith and I will go into where we think this is going to, 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 to end up. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, I have all these disclosures I have to sign and I'm not allowed to offer compensation to the buyer's agent in the MLS. So what that looks like is this, here's the new world. You as a seller are going to sit down with the sellers. I'm sorry, you as the seller's agent are going to sit down with the seller, explain to them, this is how things used to be. <laughs> this is how things are. It used to be I collected X and I remitted X or Y to the buyer's agent. Now that doesn't happen. So you're paying me directly for my services. I charge whatever that amount is and this is what I do and this is what it is, et cetera. You do a listing presentation, nothing really changes except you're not collecting compensation for the buyer's agent. Yeah. Then the conversation is Mr. and Mrs. Seller. You need to understand that your house is appreciated like 3000% over the past 20 years <laughs> and you're making more money than you ever should on your property thanks to a shortage of housing in this country. The uh -huh. buyer, by the way, is so completely, utterly strapped for cash that Due to massive affordability issues in the United States continue that they are unlikely going to be able to pay their buyer's agent for representation, which is why it used to be this way where I collected it and remitted it. Now I can't do that legally anymore. So when a purchase, when a, when a purchase offer comes across, you are almost 100% going to see in there a stipulation that you as the seller are to pay the buyer's agent's compensation directly. Or depending upon how your state's set up, it may be that you're to offer a credit to the buyer so the buyer can pay the buyer's agent directly. The Cliff's Notes is buyer agent commission will be one of the terms in your purchase agreement when you submit your offer. How you are handling how the buyer's agent gets paid in the future, it's our opinion that that will be one of the terms you are negotiating. Correct. Uh, if it's an entry level price point home, and those buyers are already strapped for cash anyway, my personal belief is you're going to see sellers offer it because they know they have to, to have a marketable home. I want to sell my entry-level price point home. Uh, my buyers across the board probably aren't going to have the money to be able to cover it, so I better offer it. As you move up quartiles in your average sales price, you will enter into more negotiation as a buyer's representative for how you're going to get paid. That could be a good thing. Because if you're providing massive value, if you are showing them how you're different, if you are the person who uh, is the buyer's agent of choice for your area, then they're going to sign it. They're going to want to work with you because you're great. So th this yeah. is basically they're decoupled. You're going to have to have a buyer broker agreement. You're going to have to talk about how you get paid. And if no one will pay you, the buyer is agreeing that they will. Correct. And the seller isn't going to walk away from the transaction over that compensation. Now, let me back that up with some statistics that I think are important. So I did this because I just, I got into an argument with some investors and I just disagreed with them wholeheartedly on a lot of things. They think buyer, uh, buyer representation is going to go away. And I'm like, man, wow. So <laughs> let's have an education on this. Um, number one is 1960, 30% of US households were dual income why that's important. Today, it's between 60 and 70%, depending upon the economic report you read. So Keith and I can both explain this for those of you who don't have kids, but when husband and wife are both working and you have kids, the last thing you think about when you want to sell your house is let's go do this shit on our own. Like, right. It doesn't happen because <laughs> yeah. I love Keith, but he'll pay for DoorDash to deliver his groceries or his food that costs yeah. more to deliver it than the food itself yeah. out of convenience. I get yeah. it. I do the same thing. Yeah. The point here is 
American consumers look for ease and are willing to pay a premium for service. I wholeheartedly disagree with the fact that people are not going to have representation on the buy side of the transaction. Yeah, they're not going to do it unrepresented. They no. are not. No. Number two, 2000, this is another one that I love. In 2001, the use of an agent on the buy side of a deal was 69% of the time. Mm-hmm. Now it's 88. This was before Zillow. This was before all these portals, before yes. AI. I had to throw it in mm-hmm. there, Keith. We had to say AI. Before yeah, AI and correct. all the, the shit that we're talking about today. Is it even a podcast if we don't say no. AI? Yeah, so right. basically, all this advent of technology and data and all of these things that should have made the process easier, the use of a realtor went up, not yeah, down. Look, You'd think it'd be the opposite. The human brain, given too many choices or too much complexity, chooses nothing. I'll say it again. The human brain, given too many choices or too much complexity, chooses nothing. It's why you sit on the couch for an hour and a half trying to figure out what you're going to watch on Netflix because you have too many damn choices, right? So as access to information has exploded, almost in lockstep, use of an agent has also exploded because rather than feeling like I could do this all by myself, everyone looks at it and goes, holy shit, I need some help. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, uh, let's talk about that. So there's some more stats that I love. Fizbos, for sale by owners. Eight to 10% of the market is for sale by owners. 50% of that number is neighbors who know each other and just need somebody to do uh, the paperwork, paperwork or it's family. So really it's just four to 5%. That are and like I, marketed as a for sale by owner with their own yard. And correct. By yeah. the way, we've done this, I've done this sort of own a polling in my own organization and I found that when an agent writes an offer on a FISBO that's representing a buyer and the FISBO says, I'm not paying you the compensation, the agent's like, okay, well, then we don't have a deal. Nine times out of 10, they come up with the compensation to pay the agents because they want to close the sale on their home. So I want to be clear about this. Buyer representation isn't going away. It's a question of how you articulate your value and your worth in this go forward world and then how you structure things in your contract. So Keith, we've got a few takeaways and we'll dive a lot deeper here, but you, you keep talking about get books on negotiation, like learn how to negotiate. So what are some of your favorites? All right. So negotiation is one of the three things that we believe you're going to need to level up in this new environment, right? On the other side of this, whether it's weeks or months, you're going to have to become a better negotiator, period, end of story. Two best books I have. Harvard Business Review has a series of essays <laughs> on negotiation. It's wonderful. Uh, and the best book I've read is Never Split the Difference, former hostage negotiator, I think for the FBI, uh, delivering his uh, thoughts on how to negotiate effectively. Uh, those are the two places I would start. Uh, the other thing you should do is start practicing negotiation. Yeah, get a buddy in the office. Start sending offers back and forth. Play start with it. Getting on the phone, like you got to get reps in. There's no replacement for getting reps in. Yep. Just just practice negotiating. Treat those are your, two good books. Treat your buyer like a seller. Yeah. Sit down and do a buyer presentation. NER has a great piece, 179 things the average buyer's agent does for their buyer. Go download it. Go mm-hmm. grab it. Learn it. Literally memorize it. Elevator pitch that shit, right? So yep. be able to sit down with a buyer and clearly articulate to them everything that you do in a transaction, why it's important to have a presentation, how long it takes to read disclosures, how many phone calls, inspections, all the crap that goes on, and explain to them that you're going to do that exclusively for them. Number then two. also spend some energy talking about how you're going to be different. 
right? Yep. Like not yep. just the the transactional things that you do. Maybe you hire professional packers because packing sucks. Maybe you hire professional movers. Maybe you hire a professional organizer. All things that I've done yeah. because as James said, I am lazy. So like I didn't you, say you, that, but I implied it. You did. Yeah. Uh, we've you've got to start the number two thing you need to level up is your buyer consultation yeah you had better start providing massive value uh much like you are used to doing in your listing presentation where you go in you clearly articulate your marketing plan you're, you're showing your differentiation you better start doing the same thing on your buyer consultation buyer uh buyer broker representation agreements 12 yep. states currently require them at the, at the very latest point of if you're about to, if you're going to write an offer on a property, uh, I think you're going to see. And by the way, if associations are listening, do this now. Yes. At the state level, go start working on legislation to implement a buyer broker representation agreement as a requirement at the first point of contact with a buyer. It should be a standard process. It's 12 yep. states that currently require that. 38 states should implement it. It's good for buyers because we're establishing fiduciary. We're establishing who we represent. We're laying out what we're going to do, what we're going to provide. We're putting it in writing like, here's what you get when you work with me, much like a lawyer does today. Yep. We also want to make sure that when we're doing that, you know, this is... this is good for not just the buyer and the agent, but it's also good for the seller. Mm -hmm. When you have this in place, you're you're getting rid of looky-loos that are not interested in buying anything, but just want to go tour someone's house. So <laughs> like, it's good for the seller. And it's been proven at the state level, they're fine with this and the, so are the feds. So like, this is, a, this is a way to level the playing field, make agents better, clearly articulate what we do, establish fiduciary, which is what they're looking for. So that's the second thing. Download yeah. it, read it. Every state has one now. So go get the, it'll change on the other side of this. Once everything comes down, it will change. It won't look the same, but they're going to build off, probably build off of what each state already has. So print it. I know that's old school. So since I'll stick with the old schools, print it, staple it, read it, practice talking about it, uh, get a networking group going where you're really getting comfortable with the document. You're going, this is the future and because look, the agents that are in North Carolina, which has had this forever, they're like this part. I'm not worried at all. It's no big deal because it's been around for a long time. This is new to us. We're not used to talking about money. We're afraid of it. Uh, but three years from now, everyone will just do it. It'll be normalized. Yeah. You'll be used to it. Well, Some of you are going to figure it out fast. You'll have a competitive advantage. Some of you are going to figure it out slow and you're going to struggle and you're going to lose to the people who figure it out fast. And by the way, to add to this, I would love personally, and I know Keith feels the same because we're, you know, confident lunatics. outward lunatics. Um, yes. I would rather live in a world where the seller's agent isn't dictating any type of compensation Hell for yeah. what I'm going to get like paid. I don't like anybody dictating my compensation. I want to basically explain to a buyer, here's what I charge, is what I'm worth, this is why, and this is what you pay. And if you mm -hmm. don't like it, then go somewhere else. Like at the end of the day, you need to be able to explain all of that. So there's positives to this. I actually have been on record, I'll say it again. I think long-term, you will see good agents will charge more than what they were getting today. I think yeah. that plaintiffs, their idea is completely, utterly wrong. And they're actually unchaining some things for for producers that will be better for them and to be clear it's good for the consumer too because you're getting a good service yep. um so abr i would highly recommend getting that uh designation or certification whichever one it is uh work on doing things to differentiate yourself that would be a positive thing to add to your 
portfolio. And then Keith on the sell side, we kind of touched this, but I want to hit it harder. You have to get really good at explaining to a seller what to expect, why they should be thinking about it, what they should offer if they want to offer a buyer, you know, a bonus to the buyer's agent, or if they want to mm-hmm. pay the buyer's agent directly, or if they want to offer a credit to the buyer. Like these are things you need to set up in advance for them. So it's not blindsided. It's like, well, why are they asking me for it? Well, we talked about that. This is right. this is the importance of this. If you have a your example of if you're a first time home buyer and you know the house you're selling is going to be bought by a first time home buyer, like, hey, if you don't do this, good luck. You know, this is not right. going to happen. So, yeah. I think these are just these are the changes that we're trying to say everyone to calm down. Is if you look holistically at this, this actually is it's going to be change. It's going to mm-hmm. be new. But yep. there's plenty of ways to make sure that you're receiving the compensation that you're worth. Yeah. So get, get, look, here's a little fun exercise I would like everyone to participate in. Get a glass of your favorite beverage, water, iced tea, wine, bourbon, whatever it is, and start to sketch out ideas for how your buyer experience can be elevated. Because if you can get your buyer experience good enough, then you can actually charge more than whatever the industry standard becomes. Who We all have a rough idea of what it is in your market today. Uh, you could charge more. You now are untethered. You now can build a completely different, maybe you want a full white glove packers, mo- I know I already mentioned this, but packers, movers, unpackers, professional organizer, uh, house cleaners. Uh, you offer all of this stuff. Well, that comes at a cost. People will pay for it. That's yeah. my platinum service. Then I have yeah. a gold service and I have a silver service. You could do that. And I, I think that's a good segue too to the comment. I've had a lot of people mention that, oh, we're going to become lawyers. No. So uh, in order to do hourly based billing, um, Keith and I, because we're lunatics, Nerds. we've read yeah. the IRS carve out <laughs> yeah. and you can't. Um, for you to stay 1099, you can't charge hourly. So you'd have to be a W-2. I'm pretty sure any brokers that are listening or following our podcast would be like, hell no, I'm not employing everybody. So it it would be difficult to go that route. Not impossible, but difficult. I don't think you'll see that become a standard at all. And obviously, I mean, most, Red- Yeah, most companies are moving <laughs> the other way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was going to say Redfin's a great example of like they've tried it for 15 years and they failed miserably at it. So like... I don't think that if Redfin can't pull it off, it'd be hard for most to pull it off. Again, not saying it wouldn't work, but I just don't think that'll be standard. You know, I've heard comments about flat fees for services, like we're just going to charge a flat rate for everything. Ironically, we have not seen a successful company pull that off yet still. Um, I can name three off the top of my head. Foxton's, Purple Bricks, and Rex all had that concept. Massive amounts of... They all filed bankruptcy. And you've been competing against this on the sell side your whole career. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's always someone in town that has a flat fee. I'll do it for blank. And they got billboards and shit like that. In absence of value, all you have is cost. Yeah. So you've been competing against that your whole career. You're just not going to compete against that on the buy side, but you still get the opportunity to charge whatever you want to charge. Yeah. Um, So, you know, and then the last thing is menu of services. And Keith and I are in agreement on this. I think this, it's interesting. Um, It's not a new business model of, you know, you get, X for X. Um, I, there has not been a successful company that's done that yet. I think it hasn't been really, ex, ex, you know, really explored to the degree it could. But two examples of companies that have been doing it for, Jesus, Keith, I don't even know how long, 30, 40 years would be assist to sell and help you sell. And they're yeah. barely around anymore. So, But there are also agents, many that I know, that are sure. phenomenal agents that charge 
it's a tiered system, not like help you sell where I'll put it on the MLS for 500 bucks or whatever their structure is, but they've got a platinum, a gold and a silver offering and you pay X and Y and Z for each offering. Well, yep. That's a menu of services too. It's just based on a percentage basis sure. instead of, you know, sure. like an tons of ways to basis. do it. Yeah. I think so, you'll see a lot of these things pop up. I think they'll see, I still think the standard way we do things will still be the, the norm. Um, but it doesn't mean that there won't be change to look at. And candidly, that's the best part about capitalism in our economy is we get to try different things. So let's try um, to put a, let's try to put a bow on this. What, right, do, what so, do you want to take them out with? Two things. Number one is you all need to support NER in this, yep. get behind them and Call them. Tell them to start working with Fannie and Freddie to make sure they can get these uh, compensation on the buy side financed in the loan. They need to work with uh, the feds on VA to make sure that you can be paid on the buy side of a transaction. This is where NAR is good. This is yep. where we need them. This is where you support <laughs> them. This is where you call them and say, hey, I love you guys. Mwah, smooches. And start working on that for us, right? Um, and then my final takeaway, I don't know. I think, look, it you need to just focus on what you can control. Yep. We've given you a really good path for this. Implement this, you're going to be fine. The next big debate that you're going to see, we had a great podcast with Jessica on this. Mm -hmm. The next the next big thing that you're going to hear about after this is dual agency. Dual agency. And we don't need to cover that today, but that's yep. definitely going to be the next big target we'll have a big conversation about. So, Yep. All right, I'll take them out on two things. Well, one is a three-part list. These are the three things. I, I know we've covered this. I just want to reinforce it. Three things you should be focused on. One, buyer broker agreement. It's coming kids. Learn how to talk about it. Two, level up your negotiation skills. Read a book, phone a friend, use a lifeline, whatever you got to do, <laughs> but get better at negotiations. Then number three, level up, tear apart and rebuild your buyer consultation. That thing should be packed with value. Uh, so from, from a tactical standpoint, those are the three things that I want you to focus on. From a strategic standpoint, I want you to relax. Trust me, social media is already going ape shit with negativity, end of the world, NARA's gonna go bankrupt, this is it, no more buyer agency, it's the wild west. Just slow down, slow yep. down. And keep this listening is, to what we're talking about because yeah, we're bringing is, really good guests on to talk about these things. This is gonna so. be okay. Just like when you get afraid, I want you to grab your phone and text a past client. When you get afraid, I want you to grab your laptop and I want you to send an email to that lead you've been meaning to get back to. Because I promise you, while you might be stressed, you put five or six into escrow between now and the end of the year, you're a lot less stressed than you were without those five or six in escrow. What James said, focus on what you can control. We'll keep the content coming your way. Uh, we love you all a lot. Hope this was helpful. And let and us know about the crazy Uncle Keith t-shirt. I'm stuck <laughs> on I'm so getting them. We're going to get something. So, all right. all right, everybody. We'll see all you right. on the next show. Bye, y'all. Will subscribing to this podcast save the real estate industry as we know it? Yes, it absolutely will. Subscribe now and you'll be able to find out if I'm right.